Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and so glad that you've decided to join us this morning. Of course, we've got our Q&A week this week. Today, we're going to go to our mailbag and answer your questions. Remember, it's all about your questions, our answers, to hopefully help you garden a little stronger, a little more confidently, because sometimes... As with all things in life, when we don't understand something or we have those questions, uh, we need some advice. Having the confidence to approach a problem or maybe approach a, a planting site that you haven't tapped into before, you don't know what to do and where to do, or vegetable gardening comes with its uh, uh, ups and downs, that's for sure, because sometimes... Just like we love those tasty fruits and vegetables that come out of the uh, orchard and the, and the vegetable patch, well, so do other critters, whether they're small critters or whether they're big critters. And so we know that you need some, some guidance on how to control these things. So again, today is all about Q&A, questions and answers, your questions, our answers. And these are questions that you have been sending us over the past month. Just to remind folks, or if you're joining us for the first time, well, first of all, welcome to New Southern Garden. Uh, but if you're just joining us, you may not know that the end of the month, the last Saturday of the month, we go to the mailbag, go to the email, and uh, answer your questions. So if you've got anything that's bothering your begonias or pestering your petunias, then just let us know. You can do so at the show's website, which, of course, is easy to remember. It's NewSouthernGarden.com. You can also find this program on Facebook and Instagram, uh, where you can send pictures. Uh, the, the website, I'll let you know, if you have pictures, it doesn't let you send them through the website, but you can definitely send us pictures uh, through Facebook and Instagram. Just tag us at New Southern Garden. And that way we can uh, share them with the rest of the New Southern Garden crew and community. Or maybe we could call us ourselves the New Southern Gardeners. But that way we can all see what's going on. Because in this business, uh, you know, words are important. But I think a picture is worth more than 10,000 words. Because sometimes you just got to see it. If you don't know what a plant is and you want it to help you identify it, well, I'll surely be glad to try. But it would be beneficial to have something uh, tangible to look at because the way that leaves are placed on a plant is very important. The way the flowers are shaped and how many petals are there can be very important to help identify a certain plant. So be sure to check us out at NewSouthernGarden.com on Facebook and Instagram. That's where we've gone uh, to, uh, to, to get your questions. So that's where you can find us. Now, it, if you are just joining us for the first time this morning, then I would like to uh, let you know that other than asking questions at the website, you can also 
uh, check out every episode we've ever had. You can go to NewSouthernGarden.com and click on the podcast uh, episodes, and you can listen to everything that we present here on Saturday mornings right here on your hometown radio, WRWH 93.9 FM at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Another good reason to go to the uh, website or the podcast would be that if you sleep in on a Saturday, it's not unreasonable, and don't feel bad or guilty uh, if you're sleeping in past 10 a.m. I surely would, would love to do that if I could. Don't feel guilty and don't feel sad that you missed the show because the shows will be right there online for you. So last week we were talking, uh, sort of continuing a discussion that we've had for a few weeks uh, through Oct- uh, August. We're not talked over yet. But uh, the month of August, we have been talking about some unusual, I call them unusual, but uh, really they are quite common. They're just different in the way they grow, uh, fruit trees. So we are all familiar with apples and pears and peaches, and they all grow on a similar tree, similar flowering time. Uh, Harvest times can be quite different. But some things we've been talking about this month are figs and blackberries and raspberries, and then last week was pomegranates. And I encourage you to check out those episodes or just do some more research on growing these summertime fruits because they do, those particular plants, uh, fruits are harvested in the summer where some apples and whatnot may be closer into fall. But if you want to fill your table with some delicious homegrown fruits right out of your own orchard, then figs and pomegranates and blackberries, raspberries are a great way to do that. And the great thing about those uh, plants in particular, they are pretty d- disease resistant and carefree. You don't have to do a whole lot. But if you want to know exactly what you need to do, then you can find all that information at NewSouthernGarden.com and those episodes that you'll find from the past uh, few weeks. But today, it's all about your questions and getting those questions answered. So I say we've got a long way to go. We've got a lot of questions to answer. So let's just jump right in and start with those questions. Well, let's travel just a little ways over to the little town here in North Georgia called Murrayville. Mary has a question from Murrayville. Uh, She says, can I prune my evergreen shrubs back very hard this time of year? They are covering up the windows. Well, Mary, I know what you're dealing with because once you have an established landscape, you will find that your uh, evergreens and deciduous shrubs, maybe even trees, they start to grow very quickly and they can get very large very fast. Well, that's not uncommon and it is, I'll say just to start off, that it is a sign of good health that those plants are able to, uh, to, to put out so much growth and you may find that those shrubs are putting out ample amounts of growth even after you've trimmed them, maybe consistently through the summer. They have a strong, well-developed root system that is able to grab up plenty of nutrition, plenty of moisture, and continue the growth of that plant. So it's not uncommon, Mary, to to realize that after several years, those plants may need to be rejuvenated. And when you mention in your question that uh, can you cut them back very hard, that sounds to me like you want to rejuvenate them. But I'm going to say that rejuvenating the plant by cutting it back very hard this time of year might be disastrous. It may just be a little detrimental uh, depending on what plant you have, but definitely it could become disastrous. And let me start out by explaining why. So, well, maybe I should start out the short. No, I would not trim back your shrubs very hard this time of year. And here's the reason why. So, 
in the spring, plants grow the most they possibly ever will. They put out a big flush of growth, and then they do continue growing through summer, but they have little bursts of growth, where in the spring you may get, gosh, feet of growth. Throughout the summer, you may only get a few inches. And it's this time of year where plants aren't focused on growing so much, even the evergreen types. What they're focused on is trying to put reserves into the root system to prepare for winter. If you think about the growth cycle of a shrub or tree, really anything, uh, throughout the growing season, it's much like a roller coaster. Think of it this way. In the spring, you've got a big flush of growth. Like a roller coaster, when you climb up really high, you're very high, but then, of course, it drops down and then just kind of bounces up and down through the rest of summer. And so I like to describe a roller coaster and the growth of plants because spring is that flush of growth. Throughout the summer, pruning very little is appropriate, and it's okay, it's fine. But doing some very hard pruning this close to the end of summer uh, is not a good idea. What you might find if you do prune back very hard this time of year is that that plant may never recover uh, from that hard pruning. If it's a certain type of like hollies and whatnot, they'll probably live, but they will be stunted. What we call spring pruning is encouraging growth. What we call summer pruning is discouraging growth. And so the only kind of trimming I would do this time of year, Mary, is to just lightly uh, prune and shape the plant. So you're going in with maybe some shears and cutting off the wild hairs, if you will, getting things shapely, getting them in order uh, so so that you're not removing a lot of nutrition out of the stems and the branches uh, so that they will have nutrition over the winter. If, if you do that light shearing and shaping now, that will give your shrubs a nice clean edge pretty much for the rest of the winter. If you have a hedge, now is a fine time to shape and trim to get that clean, sharp edge before winter comes. With that in mind, I would not do really any pruning much later than Labor Day, and we're quickly coming to that time. Just a little over a week, I guess. But regardless, if you do any pruning, make sure it's before Labor Day, and here's why. Once you prune a plant, it's going to encourage the plant or signal to the plant that it needs to produce more leaves. Well, that new growth that is forced by the action of pruning, it needs to harden off a bit. It needs to get uh, some strength to it and get harder before the first frost comes. Now, the first frost uh, is going to usually be about October 15th in our Zone 7 that we live in here. It does appear that the first frost comes much later, but the USDA says that October 15th, you may have a frost before that date and you may have a frost after that date. So by pruning before or at Labor Day, you've got a good six weeks, which is what's required for the plant to harden off any of its new growth. So when that uh, growth is hardened off, it can handle the winter weather. If you do pruning later than than Labor Day, the 1st of September, then what you might find is that that, um, uh, that new growth never gets hard enough. And over winter, the new, fresh, ripe green growth is going to get hit by the frost and have freeze damage. And so that just sets the plant back. It probably won't kill the plant, but it will make the plant look pretty shabby for the rest of the winter. So, Mary, I would say if you do any pruning 
Make sure that you're doing it sooner than later, but make sure that you're not trimming off too much. You might be able to get away with trimming off a fourth or a third of the plant, but I definitely wouldn't trim over half of the plant this time of year. Now, that being said, Mary, if you wait until February or March of next year, 2022, then you can do some very heavy pruning at that time. You could actually continue that through April if you'd like. But I would make sure that uh, you look at the forecast and make sure we're not going to have any late freezes or frosts because, well, the problem is that those fresh wounds that you make in March, if you get water in them and they uh, it freezes, then you may have more winter damage later in the year, just like we'd have winter damage if we pruned too late this year. And so just be sure that you're watching the forecast in March or April, give or take, and you can prune back your evergreen shrubs um, pretty hard. You can, uh, we call it rejuvenation. You can prune out most of everything if you'd like, uh, or just shape them to the size that you'd like and get them a little bit lower underneath those windows. The last little tip that I would give when it comes to how much to prune is definitely prune the plant below the height that you want it to stay at. Because if you prune the plant at the height you want it to stay at, well, it's going to regrow and it's going to get higher than that height. So if you want your plant to be 36 inches tall, be sure to prune it uh, maybe 30, but more like 28 or 24 inches, about a foot below your final height. Because if you do spring pruning, that plant will flush out and it will grow the most it ever will in that year during that spring season. And that will recover the height that you want it to be at. So just a few little tips there. I'm afraid, Mary, that if you do any pruning right now, as far as hard pruning goes, cutting your shrubs back very far, you're a little late to the game. But that's okay if you can just handle some light pruning for now, enjoy the way they look over winter, then you can really butcher them <laughs> in the uh, early early spring or late winter of next year, and they should recover just fine. Once you've done that pruning, of course, Mary, it's a great idea to go ahead and fertilize. Fertilize them well. Give them high nitrogen, uh, something slow release, but definitely something well balanced. But the higher the nitrogen, that will give the plant the energy that it needs in order to produce and recover uh, with more foliage and more branches. Well, with that being said, Mary, I think that you're on the right track, but don't get too uh, uh, knife happy. Don't get too pruning happy this time of year. Just give your plants a little shear, make them shapely, and uh, you'll find that if you do the pruning in spring, you'll have some beautiful plants by this time next summer. So, well, gang, again, today is our Q&A question. We're thankful to Mary and the others who have sent questions. If you have any questions you'd like for us to answer next month, be sure to check out NewSouthernGarden.com and also Facebook and Instagram where you can send us pictures and videos and we will help you out. When we get back, we're going to the vegetable garden. We've got some problems with worms. So if you've got problems with worms, hang on tight. 
Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, uh, I'm afraid to say, but it's about to get a little wormy in here because Scott and Flowery Branch has a problem with worms. And maybe you know just what Scott's talking about. Of course, this time of year, as we all know too well, that our vegetable plants are producing. They are providing us with delicious food, but they're also providing food to critters. Whether you're dealing with something small like worms or something large like deer, your vegetable garden is always going to be a place of concern, uh, primarily because it is producing tasty leaves, tasty fruits, all kinds of things, even flowers. A lot of insects like the flowers. And so uh, your vegetable garden is producing very tasty things that are always going to be in their sight as cons- uh, food for consuming to help them grow stronger. But the reality is, is we don't want them to be growing stronger because the stronger they get, then the weaker our vegetable plants get. So uh, Scott and Flowery Branch says that small worms are covering our vegetable plants and eating everything. Squash, cucumber, peppers. How can I get rid of them safely? Well, Scott, I know that your main concern, of course, is going to be getting rid of the worms, but you mentioned in your question, how can I get rid of them safely? Uh, Safety, I'm sure, as all of us are concerned, we want to make sure that we are treating our uh, vegetable plants, uh, fruit plants with safe products or safe procedures that, you know, don't harm us. And there's a lot of debate, of course, in in agriculture and horticulture all over the place, uh, about using organics versus chemistries and whatnot. Well, a lot of organics are chemistries that are found naturally. Uh, but some, some organics are also naturally occurring bacterias or naturally occurring something that gets into the tiny little critter and uh, really just kills it. It gives it a bellyache or whatnot. And so that is one of the first places we're going to go to. Well, I guess the very first place we should go to, Scott, is there's nothing wrong with a pail of soapy warm water and picking the worms off of the plant and putting them in the pail. Now, that sounds quite laborious, and it is. It can be labor-intensive, especially if you have an outbreak, like you mentioned, on your squash, your cucumber, and your peppers. You have all these plants. How are you going to ever get to them and also do all the other things you have to do throughout your day? So even though picking them off is highly appropriate and acceptable, a lot of times we overlook the eggs. There are usually another generation of these critters underneath or on top or along the stem, uh, somewhere on the leaf or the plant where the eggs may be. And then by the time you've picked them once, you see that another generation of little worms has hatched and ready to eat your plants. Uh, 
So there is another option that you can take, of course, uh, and it's an organic option. Now, this particular organic option we have talked about a lot on the program here in New Southern Garden. And to check out more information about this product, just uh, go to the other shows on the website at NewSouthernGarden.com, or, of course, you can listen on the podcast and find them. But look for the term BT, the letter B and the letter T. Now, that does is a shortened version of the word, two words, Bacillus thuringiensis. Now, Bacillus thuringiensis is essentially just a bacteria. You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, if we get a cut or we have a wound, our wound may become infected, right? And there's bacteria that is causing that infection. Well, in the uh, small animal world, like these worms, there are also infections that bacteria cause. And BT is just a bacteria, it's a very helpful bacteria for us, that specifically, specifically kills worms and caterpillars. Now, when I say worms, I don't mean earthworms, but I mean worms that turn into something else, whether it be um, a butterfly or moth or, or whatever. Because remember, folks, these worms you're seeing are going to turn into something different. And you want to make sure before you kill them that they aren't something good, right? We don't want to hurt the pollinators. We don't want to diminish their presence in our gardens. So be sure, Scott, that before you even apply this product called BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, that you thoroughly know and understand what the critter is. If it's a critter that is definitely a bad guy, then be sure that you you can definitely uh, take care of that problem. But if it is a good guy, maybe you can overlook it just this time. So identification is going to be the first step for sure. But the BT product comes in a variety of forms that you can apply. Of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, a garden center that I operate. You can find me there throughout the week, but we do have Bacillus thuringiensis. Particularly, we have it as a liquid spray. So it's very easy, especially in the vegetable garden, to just spray, 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 spray those plants. And with that in mind, it, it also comes in a concentrate that usually can be diluted to spray. But a concentrate, if you have a lot of plants, Scott, you may consider a concentrate because you get more bang for your buck. You just have to dilute it yourself. Now, BT can also come as a powder or a dust. And that can be sprinkled around uh, just like the old-fashioned 7 was a dust, right? Well, this is not 7 by any means. This product, keep this in mind, this product is only going to treat worms or caterpillars. So it's not going to work on beetles and it's not necessarily going to work on thrips or aphids, but it will work on worms. And I'll take a break here to, re to tell you why uh, I really like BT for this reason. Uh, a lot of the other products we have available these days are going to just kill any insect at, uh, that comes near it. Well, with BT, it is what we call selective. It selectively uh, hurts the, the pest that we want it to hurt. And we don't have that many options of selective pesticides or insecticides. But BT is one of the few selective insecticides that we can use to harm the worm pest, but keep the butterflies, the adult butterflies, to keep the bees safe. So, Scott, that's why I like to mention this for safety reasons. It's very safe, not just for humans' consumption, because it's not going to uh, hurt us at all. The bacteria gets inside of the worms, and it causes them to have a stomach ache that they can't recover from. 
And so it, the BT doesn't bother humans, but it does bother worms and worms and caterpillars only. That's why I really like it. But unlike some, uh, some other sprays, particularly chemical sprays, um, BT may take a few days to really show any difference. It just depends on how quickly the insect consumes the BT the Bacillus thuringiensis, and how quickly that bacteria starts to divide and multiply in that caterpillar's belly. And so with other chemical forms, usually it's on contact very quickly, it, it starts to act. But because this is true biological warfare, what we're doing is we're pitting, <laughs> I guess we can use that word, we're pitting a worm against a bacteria. And we know based on the research, that that worm is not going to win the war. The bacteria will win the war. It will essentially poison the, in, the insect, cause it to have a bellyache, cause it to die. So it may take a little longer to work. Now, if you are interested in something else, uh, you can try another organic um, that's called Captain Jack's. Now, this is a bonide product that, of course, we, we do stock at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week. But Captain Jack's is spinosad, which is another form of bacteria. Now, it may, it may uh, not work as effectively on worms, but if you have other insects, beetles, things like that, aphids, that you want to get off of your plants, well, you can use this as another organic, another type of bacteria that is going to cause damage to these insects. So again, it's, it's very safe because it doesn't last very long. It's just a bacteria. You can wipe it, wash it away. Uh, if it's not in the body of the organism, it's not going to uh, live for very long anyways. And so it, it's nothing to be concerned about from our perspective, but in the garden, it BT is very selective. Captain Jack's is a little bit broader and can do some damage to other insects. So if you don't want to jump into chemicals, because of course you can find chemistries anywhere, uh, and there's plenty of chemicals that will kill a number of insects, but if you just have the worm problem, Scott, I would be sure to check out Bacillus thuringiensis. Don't ask me to spell it right now because we're coming up on a break. It would take too long, uh, but commonly we call it BT, the letter B and the letter T. So with all that in mind, Scott, I hope that this information helps you make a wise decision on how you want to approach getting rid of these worms that are just devouring your fruit, your uh, vegetable crop. Well, we don't have uh, but half a show left to go, but we've got plenty of questions to answer. So hang on tight. We're going to talk about banana trees, of all things, when we get back. So let's act like monkeys and uh, talk about bananas. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So, gang, here we are. It is summertime. It is really getting late in the summer. We're approaching uh, nearly six weeks until our first frost, which might be, give or take, around October 15th. And so we're going to start to see a lot of changes in the garden. I know we already have had a lot of changes in the past few weeks. 
depending on how much water we have, how, how, how high the temperatures are, you're going to see your plants respond and act differently. And uh, I know at the nursery, uh, I really do hate summertime in the nursery, not because we're watering all the time, because that's a lot of work, just watering every day, but because the plants don't look their best. You know, it's not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just that they've become weathered. They're responding to the weather we've had. Think about this. Whenever you look at a, a tree, whether it be a dogwood, redbud, even oaks, and, and right now the poor poplar trees have suffered from a bit of drought. Poplar trees do like to have a bit of moisture. Not that they can't handle drought. The plant will survive, but they start to look weird. They, just like the cherry trees, they're starting to drop leaves, turn yellow, and we're not even to fall yet. And this is all just a, a forced kind of dormancy, trying to just save the tree from drying out because it's been dry. Now, we've had some downpours and showers, uh, which has kept things a little happier. But I just want you to look around this time of year and look in your garden and just see how things do look a little sad. So think of it this way. If you have a deciduous plant, remember deciduous plants are plants that they leaf out in the spring, but then they drop those leaves by the end of the year, definitely during the fall season. Well, those plants, of course, have leafed out months ago. The leaves you see could be considered geriatric. They're very old. They're not going to be around here for much longer. So it's okay if there's a few spots, a few blemishes, a little bit of nibbling, a little bit of uh, holes here and there. It's okay because those leaves aren't forever. That's the beauty of deciduous plants. You know, they have this dramatic life cycle where they're, for a little over half a year, they have leaves. But then for the rest of the year, they have no leaves. They're just twigs and sticks. And so don't jump to conclusion don't jump to concluding that because your plants may have some spots and blemishes that you or your plant is dying even if maybe they're a little chlorotic now chlorotic means that they're turning yellow it's very possible that they're turning yellow because they are on a uh, kind of downhill path and i don't mean downhill to destruction i just mean downhill into fall and winter time into a period of rest a period of sleep if they were bears, we would call it hibernation. But they are changing uh, the, the really physical components of their body, of the tree, of the plant itself. They are moving, starting to move nutrition and water into the root system and into the stems so that it can hang out there all winter and the plant can consume it and use it uh, while the leaves are off of the tree during the cooler months. And so again, your leaves this time of year... The overall look of the plant uh, may very well look sad and pitiful, unhappy, but just know that we are nearing the end of summer. We're coming up to it very quickly, very fast, very soon. And so your plants will most likely be fine, especially if they've been in the ground and established for a long period of time. But on the other hand, on the other hand, here we go. <laughs> if some of your plants do appear to be... Um, maybe they're uh, new plants, okay? Plants you've planted this year. Let's talk about that. We do want to make sure that we continue to water them and, and feed them up until Labor Day. So give everything one more dose of fertilizer before uh, Labor Day is over. And that will prepare them to pull in that nutrition, 
and then send it into the plant to store over winter. You can do that with all plants, fertilizing up until Labor Day. But if there's some plants that obviously are dry, be sure to water them. Be sure to water them. But you can uh, hold off on some water after Labor Day because just like feeding and pruning encourages a plant to grow, well, so does giving it water. And so if we're well after Labor Day and your plants are looking like they need water, it's not necessary to provide extra water. Just what Mother Nature gives should be fine. Unless, again, it is a new plant that has been planted recently and obviously doesn't have a well-established root system, we definitely want to uh, water those. But if you find that some of your plants have copious amounts of spots or fuzzy growths on the leaves or stems or, or black lesions on the leaves and stems, brown leaves on the le- lesions on the leaves and stems, then that could be cause for concern. That could be something to be concerned about and definitely would be something you'd want to address. And of course, you can send us pictures uh, of your plants if you have problems like that. Just send them to NewSouthernGarden.com or on Facebook and Instagram and we'll be glad to answer those, well, really by the end of the month. But if there's something timely, I'm sure we can get to it sooner than that. Now, um, if you are just looking at your plants daily, you can watch the changes that are happening. But I just wanted to help take away some pressure and some concern that looking at the slow, what appears to be a decline of your plant, um, it may be concerning, but just know that this is not really a decline. It's a transformation. It's a change. It's definitely a transformation. That's, That's a good word. Because these plants are transforming into a different, life cycle or into a different part of their life cycle the plants that are starting to drop their leaves they're just responding and yes the heat the humidity the lack of moisture on the dry days we have can all add up and build up to causing those uh, symptoms but unless you have something that is obviously uh, major a lot of spots, a lot of uh, devouring of the leaves by insects, then you really don't have to be too concerned. With that being said, your questions have been given to us. We appreciate everyone who has provided us a question. Whether we could get to it or not this week, we do apologize for that. But we did pick out the ones that seem to be most uh, enthusiastic, timely, and things that uh, you may have questions about yourself. So we've already talked to Mary Mary in Murrayville, and she was asking about pruning this time of year. We've talked to Scott about in Flowery Branch about worms that are eating his vegetable plants plants and how can he get rid of them safely but now we go to uh, alto and uh, alma is in alto she says that i have been growing my banana tree in a pot and bringing it in over the winter can i plant it in the ground without winter killing it well alma i'm glad you asked that because there has been definitely an increase in people growing tropical plants, people growing house plants and so uh, well we actually did uh, i think three or four part series on growing house plants you can find that at newsoutherngarden.com but because you're growing a banana alma I, I think that maybe you have a banana that is hardy in our zone and yes bananas in general are considered tropical plants meaning that they like those climates of the tropics where the temperatures really don't drop below 60 degrees all year long you have periods of, of a wet season and you have periods of more dry season but the temperature tends to remain the same 
But with banana, there is actually a banana that most people are growing around here. We call hardy banana. Now, hardy, let's clarify that term because horticulturally speaking, hardy doesn't mean necessarily that a plant is tough in the summer. No, what hardy means horticulturally is that a plant can handle the winter weather. In other words, the plant is tough in the winter, not necessarily the other way around for summer. And so there are some bananas that are hardy, what we say, to the ground, meaning that their root system stays protected underground, even though the tops of the banana definitely die back. What you've been doing, Alma, by taking your banana inside the house over the winter and bringing it back out during the growing season is completely appropriate. There's nothing wrong with growing any type of banana that way here in our area. Uh, But if you do want to plant your banana in the ground, you really, first of all, want to make sure that it is one of the hardy types of banana. So again, I think if you got it from a friend or somebody down the street or maybe even a local nursery, most likely, Most likely, that banana is hardy. Uh, However, there's a chance that the winter weather may kill it completely, root and all. But the hardy bananas, assuming, let's just assume, Alma, and we don't want to jump to any major conclusions about it before we really know, but let's assume this is a hardy banana. You can go ahead and plant it in the ground this weekend, anytime this week, really any time of the year if it's in a container. So, You want to water it in well and, of course, mulch it well. And with any type of banana, I would definitely, and especially not knowing what type you have, I would definitely mulch it very well uh, at least, but no more, uh, well, we should say two inches of mulch. Two inches of mulch should be satisfactory. Any more is no beneficial and any less is no beneficial either. Uh, But once you've mulched it, uh, you're going to find that as cooler temperatures come, and uh, maybe even the freezing temperatures when we get a frost or a quick freeze. The banana tree is going to quickly wilt. That's right. The stem part and the leaves of that plant will get hit by the cold, and the leaves can't handle the kind of cold weather that we have. And so they turn mushy and then eventually turn brown uh, for the rest of the winter. But then you'll find in the spring, when it gets really warm and the soil has really heated up, that the root system is going to send out shoots that really we call pups. We call them pups. They're babies. So it sends up these baby bananas we call pups, and the pups are going to grow over the summer, spring and summer, and they're going to climb maybe 8 or 10 feet tall in one season. So again, Alma, assuming that your banana tree is definitely one of the hardy types, I think that you'll find uh, that it will do very well planted in the ground. And for those of you who are listening who have banana trees, let me give you a couple of extra uh, tips on growing them and growing them so they, they, they have the best shot at living. Because this particular plant is sort of borderline in our area, uh, you know, it, in a very hard winter, the root system may be impacted. Um, but really over any winter, there is a cause for some concern. The only cause for concern is if, with your banana tree, you prune them in the fall or prune them through winter. If you trim back the dead growth uh, that, well, I should say the growth that has died because of freezing temperatures, if you trim it back to the ground or make any cut into that, uh, you might find that water drips over winter into that cut on your banana stem. It will freeze and expand and then possibly very possibly expand into the root system and kill the plant from the root up. 
well, the root down even. <laughs> so with bananas, the number one tip that I would give folks is, yes, they will look messy. They may look a little uh, sad and trashy even over the winter, but their dried out mushy leaves uh, through winter and stems need to remain intact with the plant until the danger of frost is over sometime maybe April, March, April. It sounds like a long time, but leave the stems, leave the leaves, because if you do damage or rather if you remove and prune those stems over winter, any cuts that were made could fill with moisture and freeze and cause more damage to your banana than just leaving them kind of ugly looking, but it's all just temporary. It's all just temporary. It just amazes me with these banana plants that they can grow from a tiny little shoot to multiple feet. We're talking at least eight, maybe even ten in one growing season. Now, folks, we are talking about the hardy banana. If there's a banana that is more tropical, then I would refrain from putting it outside. You may have to treat it as a houseplant. But for the hardy banana, the true hardy banana, there is nothing wrong with planting it in the ground. I've done so at my house under some trees. They grow in sun, they grow in shade, and they're looking very good. I moved them over winter and, you know, mulched them very well, and they have performed spectacularly this season. So, Alma, I say go ahead, get your banana out of your pot, put it in the ground, and enjoy it outdoors. It'll be a lot less work anyways. Well, when we get back, let's talk about fall vegetables and fall vegetable gardens. Hang on tight, gang. Stories untold come to Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. All right, gang, here we are, the last segment of today's show. Of course, this is Q&A week here on New Southern Garden, and I really appreciate the fact that you've been sending us questions so that we can answer them and help you be more successful in your landscape and in your gardens. Uh, there's all kinds of horticultural endeavors I know that we'd want to go through and enjoy, but maybe we just need a little bit of help, a little bit of guidance, and that's what I hope that New Southern Garden can help you with. Well, we've already answered questions about pruning, or rather, I'd say not pruning this time of year. We've talked about getting worms out of vegetable gardens, and we've also talked about planting banana trees. That's right. Banana trees are actually plantable here in the South. You just got to make sure you've got the right one. So if you missed any part of today's program and you just woke up, got out of bed, uh, maybe you just turned the radio on, just be sure to uh, check out this episode online in a few short hours at NewSouthernGarden.com or uh, you can find it also on the podcasting apps. We just wanted to make sure that if we're talking about horticulture and plants, that it doesn't just vanish, that it can be banked away and with, of course, the internet, we have ways to do that. And so you can definitely find those shows um, in those ways. But 
We've got one last question today. Of course, we're going to go to Lawrenceville. Uh, I think that Lee has been listening to the podcast, so we appreciate that, Lee. Uh, She says that uh, my veggie patch is looking very tired from summer. Uh, When can I start pulling out these plants and planting fall vegetables? Well, that's a very timely question, Lee, because we have actually, let's just answer it in short. Yes, do it now. You can start doing it now, even though it seems hot and uh, it, 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 it is warm. You still need some warmth in order to get fall vegetables getting up and getting growing. Now, for many of these, for many of these crops, uh, for, fall, for fall vegetables, we may be a little late to get started. But if you go out and purchase plants, you're a few weeks ahead, so you're not behind anymore, right? If you start everything from seed, you may be a little bit behind, but if you start your plants from transplants from a local nursery or garden center, then you can get ahead of the game in that sense. But there are plenty of things that you can grow this time of year and get started with. Let's talk a little bit about these these kinds of crops you can grow and when they could or should be planted beets let's go alphabetically beets beets are not my favorite it's just a flavor thing for me i don't mind the the texture so much but i guess when you mix the flavor in with the texture they're just not my favorite but maybe if they were uh cooked a little differently i might enjoy them but beets are very quick to grow they only need about 55 to 65 days that's three months give or take sorry two months give or take i'm not doing math right so about two months from them to be planted from seed to be harvested Now, you can plant them in the spring, February to April, but you can plant them from August to September 20th, give or take. So we're right in line. If you love beets, they're fast to grow, usually pretty easy to grow. Uh, You can plant them pretty much through the month of September and still expect a decent crop. The spacing on beets needs to be about um, up to two inches apart. Individual plants could be spaced about two inches, and if you have rows of them, you could space the rows 18 to 36 inches, Uh, but I say pack them in pretty tight. Pack them in pretty tight. They have no problem doing that. Now, broccoli. Broccoli, I know, it's one of my favorites, probably one of your favorites. Broccoli is one of the favorite uh, coal crops, and I don't mean cold, C-O-L-D, I mean coal, C-O-L-E. Those are usually crops that are from the brassica family and or genus, and so broccoli is one of those. Now, broccoli takes about 60 to 80 days so still a couple of months maybe a little longer and the reason there's such a wide range on these days is that there are several different varieties and cultivars of all of these all of these vegetables so make sure when you're doing your research on what you're purchasing you find out about how many days it should take before you can harvest them they can be planted really beginning of august into september and so i think you still have plenty of time it may be a little short uh, to get them in the ground but go ahead and buy the plants and again you're about six weeks ahead cabbage is is quite similar but cabbage is a little cold hardier you can grow cabbage into or plant cabbage up to October 1st so you've got plenty of time and I think even if we get to October 1st and you want to plant a few more you'll be okay but cabbage does take a long time 70 to 120 days till it's harvestable so that means pretty much all all winter you're going to be harvesting your cabbage maybe depending on when you plant uh, definitely after the new year but January as early as that if you started early but then of course you may uh, be harvesting into February March which is just fine 
Carrots are really easy. They do take uh, quite some time, though, 70 to 95 days, depending on the variety. You've got the Chantenay types, which is one of my favorites. You've got the Scarlet Nantes, and oh, one cute one called Thumbelina, which is a very small carrot, so it won't take nearly as long to produce a uh, Thumbelina carrot. But you can continue to plant those now through the middle of September. I suspect you could even go 15 days or so after that and still have a decent crop because carrots can be eaten at any time you'd like. You just don't want them to go too long because they won't be very tender. They'll be very corky. So whenever you're growing carrots, I like to, when I think that they're starting to be ready, usually you can see the top of the carrot at the shoulders. You can see the shoulders pushing up out of the ground, but with some varieties you can't. So I say just go ahead and pull out one and see how it looks. And if it's ready, then pull out some more. Now, uh, let's see what some other collards. Of course, collards is a great plant for the South. It's just something we eat. I know some people is kind of have a acquired taste for it. I don't mind it. I actually love collards. But collards are in that brassica family as well. They take 55 to 85 days to mature. There are plenty of varieties. Georgia or Georgia Southern, some people call it is going to be one of the probably most common, and you can definitely uh, try that one out. Pretty easy to grow. But the collards, you kind of like the uh, broccoli. They need to be put in the ground as soon as possible. Uh, Try to do that by September 1st. We're getting very close. But again, I think if you had two weeks after that, you would be just fine. Lettuce. Lettuce is very easy to grow. It germinates really quickly and uh, starts to grow fast, and it can be harvestable in two months to 85 days. Butterheads, romaines, butter crunch, uh, leaf lettuce, all those lettuces. Of course, leaf lettuce you can pick throughout the growing season. Pick enough just for the today's salad and leave the plant growing, but the head types like romaine and butter crunch and butter uh, butterheads, those will need uh, at least two months, maybe a little longer. But you can continue to plant lettuce up till about the 1st of October and still get a decent crop. Sometimes lettuce will overwinter, but it may get an, a, a decent amount of damage from winter weather if it gets very cold. The key to growing lettuce to get it started is to sprinkle the soil, uh, sorry, sprinkle the seed on top of the soil and just firm it onto the soil. Do not cover your lettuce seed because if you cover your lettuce seed, then you will be inhibiting its germination. Lettuce has to have light in order to germinate. Radish. Radish is quick and easy. They only take 25 to 30 days. If you love radishes, you can plant them almost any time up until the middle of October, uh, maybe a little after, and then you can start again in January and April. No problem at all. It only takes about a month or less. They're a super fast crop. That's radish. Now, spinach. Spinach is another popular one that I think we'll be able to talk about. Spinach goes for about 40 to 45 days, so pretty quick. Uh, As far as harvesting goes, 40 to 45 days, and you can start uh, doing that in September all the way through October. No problem whatsoever. So, thanks to Lee from Lawrenceville for your question about fall vegetables. Get those started. Get those growing. There's a lot we can do. It's hot right now. Summer is about to be over, though, and we're going to have cooler temperatures. But until next time, next week, join me at 10 o'clock on Saturday right here on WRWH 93.9 FM, your hometown radio for New Southern Garden. I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. Hey. 
Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.